Good morning, Calvary. Uh, it's an honor to be speaking to you this morning, and also a relief to be speaking English in a church that a lot of you speak both languages, so I know if I make a mistake, I'm going to have a lot of people to help me to, to figure out what I should do, let's just say. But uh, I'm a missionary uh, working with children uh, in a community, and we're starting a, a project there, a ministry there, so me and my wife, and uh, we call it the Lighthouse Ministry sharing the word of God with this with his kids in that in the community very close to Paca. You know, you're welcome to come one day if you'd like to visit us. And uh, as Carrie Anderson shared, we are gonna be in a mini series focused on discipleship and focus on uh, on this first few ver- few verses on the book of Mark. So I'd like to, to read uh, that uh, right now. It's Mark chapter one and starting at verse 14. Uh, yeah. So Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 17. And it says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fish for people. And at once they left their nets and follow him. Let's pray again. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to us this morning uh, what you want to say to us, Lord. May our ears be attentive to, to your voice. May our, our hearts be quiet in your presence, Lord. And we're going to praise you for letting us be here together sharing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Mark, I just would like to give you a little bit of background. I believe, yeah, that a text without context, you know, is, it really gives room for misunderstanding sometimes. And I would like to just give a brief uh, background, a backdrop on the book of Mark itself, the gospel of Mark. He doesn't name himself into the gospel. But we know through, through church history that Mark is this writer. And his most famous story is that Mark is the one that caused the first missionary division, the first missionary problem, issue, between Paul and Barnabas. The two had the first missionary fight. You know, you, you hear sometimes these statistics and these things talking about missionaries and missions as a whole. And one of the main ones that they usually say that missionaries usually leave the field because of problems with other missionaries. And here seems that the mark is one of, one of the causes of this split uh, right in the New Testament. But we know that later on, Paul himself, writing Timothy, in his final days, he writes and talks about Mark and says, bring me Mark, bring me Mark, because he's very useful for me in ministry. So Mark goes from this, this guy that was not useful, 
this guy that is a quitter, a guy that wanted to give up missions and gospel altogether to a very important part in missions to Paul. He goes from one, one stream to a God takes him from that place, that first place, to a much better one to the point that he's writing a gospel. Isn't that amazing how God works? You know, how he takes us through, the, through these seasons, you know. And here Mark is writing a gospel to remind the church and to, to remind of the church of Jesus Christ and his ministry. And it's a really quickly and fast-paced gospel in comparison to the other ones. The other ones are full of details. If you read the accounts in, in Luke that are similar to Mark, you see that are full of details. And Matthew puts a lot of Old Testament proof text, you know, so people know what, what Jesus was all about, you know, that he's a Messiah and all that. John, as we started today, he's like, he wants to present Jesus as God. But Mark, Mark is really quickly, he's really fast. He's an action book almost, you know, or he's a fast pace, almost like a Pauli, he's a Paulistano. It seems that São Paulo came from here, he's busy. Jesus is doing this and this is doing that. He uses the word immediately a lot. You know, a lot, he's saying, oh, he, they went to this place and then immediately they went that place. You know, then he's like, whoa, a lot of things going on and happening with very little details, you know. But we can, like, just because the, the book is that way, we might overlook the wording, what he's saying, and we might just let it go. But he has a purpose on why he's doing that. He's writing to the Roman population, to the Roman church, you know. So he wants to make it clear the ministry, ministry of Jesus Christ the Son of God. He opens up with that theme. Jesus is the Son of God. He says right in the, you know, in the early, in the, you know, in the chapter 1, he, this is the gospel of the Son of God. So this theme is going to run through the whole, the whole letter, the whole letter, no, the whole gospel. It's going to go through. He wants to talk about his actions proved to us Jesus' actions prove to us that he is the Son of God. And something else that he's going to do, he's also going to show us a lot of the disciples. Actually, the theme of today, discipleship. He wants to show the disciples' failures, where they got it wrong, what they got it right. And I know that many times we believe that only Peter got wrong things. No, like a lot of the disciples got a lot of things wrong too. They got a lot of things right. But they messed up quite a bit in the book of Mark, if you do a read-through, you know. So we receive that word from, you know, from Peter himself, you know, that you know, through Mark. We believe that Peter is discipling, discipling Mark, and that's, that's from this gospel comes from, from a person that's being discipled. So we've shown a disciple to other disciples. We, we are not called to, to only disciple of the peop, other people and be under their discipleship. We are all called to be disciples of one master. We're all disciples being discipled together by Jesus. And as this point goes, I want to start with this first point. When, when Mark is introducing Jesus, the, when he's introducing Jesus, he talks about John 
going, John the Baptist going to prison. And now Jesus is entering his ministry. He's entering the time that he himself is preaching. And the first, the first evangelistic words of Jesus in this gospel is repent. Repent. That's his first message to his, to his people. You know, and to be honest, I'm not so sure, you know, if that, you know, if uh, I would have a courage to go to a place, to go to a people, and we're going to go to do evangelism with them, and the first words that come to my mouth to them will be repent. You know, to be honest, that, that's a very hard way to start. You know, most of us will, you know, like start with a nice conversation. We have a different approach. There's so many methodology, methodologies and missions to approach people. But Jesus is like, hey, no, this is how I'm going to start. I'm going to start with repent. Repentance. That's a very important part of the gospel message. That's a very important part. We cannot exclude that part. And I know, as I said, it is a hard one. And it is a hard one to say. And again, like, it's not, uh, there are places that is easier, must grant it. You know, I, when I was 16, 17 years old, I, I wanted to share the gospel with everybody. So me and my friends would go at night, in the middle of the night, walking through the city of Belo Horizonte, and try to find anybody in the middle of the night that we could share the gospel with. Believe it or not, we find a lot of drunk men, and a lot of drunk men, a lot of drunk people. You know, and to do, it was very easy to tell them, what you do is wrong, what you do is wrong. And very often their response was like, oh yes, I know that, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, I'm so wrong. And they would cry and, uh, you know, we'd be talking to them. So in those situations, definitely it was easy to say, tell a sinner that he was sinning. But most of the time, it is not. And especially in a world that you're supposed to not only say that what they're doing is not sin, but we need to say that's good and we should embrace it and celebrate with them. It is hard. It's hard to come to a sinner and tell what they're doing is a sin. And, you know, it's a sin when they love what they're doing, when they love their sin. It is hard. It's challenging. But we cannot, we cannot leave that part out of the gospel. If we leave repentance out of the gospel, we ain't preaching the gospel. If we leave parts out of the gospel, any, we're not preaching the gospel. So we need that part. We, we need that part for ourselves. To be honest with you, more clearly we see God, more clearly we understand who God is, how holy He is, we understand how sinful we are. When I start to, starting to feel so good about myself and how I'm doing, I look at my sin and I know how sinful I am, how deeply sinful I am. And we may say, oh, this is, oh, Philippe, this is, but this is not good. It's like, yes, it is good because we see, more we see our sin, more we see how God is graceful, how his grace is overabundant. When Paul is saying, like, where once reigned sin, 
Grace is over, you know, over rainy, over abundant. You know, so more I look at my sin, more I feel grateful for His grace. More I can look up His grace and say, Thank you, thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve, I don't deserve your grace. But thank you so much for your salvation, even though I'm a sinner. And we can speak like Paul says, I'm the worst of them. Because his grace overabundant our sin. It's not just like we, we sin a little bit and then God covers that little bit of sin. No, we sin a little bit and his grace just over through everything. It's a beautiful part of the gospel. You know, and Jesus, even right after that, Jesus comes and says, and he, he says, repent because, because the kingdom of God is near. And sincerely, I like the ESV version, even better than the Portuguese version. He says, the kingdom of God is a hand. He says, He's saying the kingdom of God is so close to us that it is in a hand distance from us. It's a really beautiful way how the ESV renders this verse. You know, it's that close to, to us. And one thing is for John the Baptist say that, because he does preach that. He's saying, repent because the kingdom of God is near. He says exactly the same thing as Jesus is saying here. One thing is John the Baptist saying that. Because when he means that, he's saying he knows the one who this kingdom belongs to and he's coming near. But something else is when Jesus said, is here, is a hand. Uh, if you were alive, if you were, you know, travel several hundred years ago, you come to, to Brazil and around 18... 07, 1808, the king or uh, Don of Portugal, he's reigning, they are doing everything, Napoleon is coming close to conquer every, you know, everything in Europe, and it's coming close to, to Portugal, and you know, like in all their political things happening, uh, the Don Juan Sisto, Don John Six, I guess, you know, Don Juan Sisto, he has a hard decision to make. He's there waiting for Napoleon, and he knows his army, he knows his army is not going to defeat Napoleon. He could try to make an agreement, but he knows he's going to lose the kingdom, he's going to lose everything. So he makes a decision, let's go to Brazil. And he take pay, he, Gather his family, gather the royal people, gather everybody, get thousands of books, put on boats, and flee to Brazil. And then he comes and he says, now this is the kingdom of Portugal. So Brazil now is not a colony, now is the kingdom of Portugal. Right? So, you, so he thought that his kingdom... You know, he had this realization is not the land of, that Portugal was located. It's not geographic. But his kingdom was him. He knew that he would still have a kingdom wherever he would go. 
and he brought his whole family and his whole royal people and said, now this is my kingdom. And this is a really good example of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is coming and he says, my kingdom is here. My kingdom is here. He's saying, you know, he's, and it's a kingdom that it has no end as promised in scripture. So we are still part of his kingdom. It's much different than what John you know, could say because when he says the kingdom is a hand, he's looking at himself as the kingdom, as the starting point of his kingdom, as the beginning of his, of his reign. You know? So Jesus has this authority to do that. That's why Mark is making it clear to the church. Look, this kingdom starts with this king. We talk about in theology how Jesus fulfilled three different offices. The prophet, the priest, and the king. And that king is different from the king of Portugal that nobody would have access to. This king is an approachable king. Not just approachable, he approaches us. And that takes me to the, the call, the God that calls us. It's very interesting to see Jesus going to call his disciples. You might think that that's normal, something normal back in the day, but that was not the case. The teachers, the philosophers of the time, the rabbis, they wouldn't go to his, his disciples, to his uh, learners, students. They would go to, they, those guys would go to them. They, those guys would go to those teachers. And Jesus here is inverting how things were done in the day. He, the king, is going to his disciples. He's approaching them. And not just that, he's approaching them when they're even minding their own business. He's an active God. He's active in history. And also I'm thinking of example of that, you know, how sometimes we can th even think that God, you know, is not active. He's a passive God. Sometimes we act like that. I was trying to, to but he's showing exactly the inverse. But I remember when I was a kid, or a little boy, and I remember getting this, best present, you know, when I was a little boy, was a train set. I absolutely loved the train set from the Estrella Company. You know, it was an awesome little train that reminded me a lot of Back to the Future 3. I know I'm a nerd, you know, but there was a, if you haven't seen it, you know, by the end of the, the, the movie, there is a train that travels to, you know, through time. It was pretty awesome, you know. And I, and I remember, you know, thinking of that little train. Remind me of Back to the Future 3. And I don't know even what happened to it after so many years. But then last year, during Christmas, we went to a toy store. And I saw the box of the same train. Exactly the same train. You know, they are real long, they were real long chain, the, the exact same set 
as an anniversary of the of the little train when it was released the first time was exactly just like the one uh, I had when I was a little boy. And I have a little boy. So I was like, oh, I need to get that for Josiah. I need to get that for him. You know, so we, we got the, the, the train set, you know, gave it to him too for Christmas. And I think I was more excited than him to, to, to put the, the whole train together. And I put the pieces together. I, oh, it's exactly the same. Everything is a piece of gold, you know. And I, you know, we rushed to find a place to put batteries on it. And I made it work, you know. And there we were, watching the train run. And it would just go around and around and around. And the only action we could do to it was to press a button that at some point in a train set would just go backwards. That's the only action we had, you know, in the, in the train set. You know, and sometimes we can act uh, and think of God almost the same way. That God said the world, he made everything worked, he set everything in motion, but he doesn't intervene. He doesn't initiate nothing in the world anymore. He's just observing. It's almost like we are his Netflix shows that he's watching. You know, he's passive in his relationship with us. It's called, it's actually old heresy. It's called Christian deism, right? It's quite old, from the 1800s, 1700s, you know, that sort of ideas came about. But sometimes I feel like some of us really see God that way, that He's not active in history, that He's not active in our lives. And if we just look at Scripture just really quickly, just a few stories, the main stories that we know of Scripture, we know that that's not true. We know that while Abraham was minding his own business, God comes to him and says, Leave your house. Come to the place that I'm going to give it to you. Abraham was not searching for God. God went to search for him. If we think about Moses, Moses had already tried to set free his people. The, the idea didn't work, so he quit, went to the desert, went to hide, was minding his own business. When God, out of the burning bushes, call him, speaks to him, and change Moses and the whole history of Israel. God is initiating with him. David was in a feud, working with sheep, minding his own business, doing what he needed to do as part of his family, doing his job. And God goes to David and called David to be the next king. God goes to him. God initiated. We can think about so many other examples of God initiating, God being the one that starts. And Jesus is no different when he's calling us. God is initi initiates Jesus initiates with us. He does, he does the first step. He changes history. He changes our history. 
I, can, I have to say, I must say, even though I grew up as, a, as going, to, going to church, I wanted nothing to do with God till He found me, till Him called me to Himself. And finally, I want to conclude with Jesus' authority, with His authority that is displayed in this passage. You know, when he comes and talks to Peter, he doesn't, what he does not say to Peter, he does not say, hey, hey guys, come with me. Come with me, guys. It'll be awesome. It's going to be great. You guys are going to see some miracles. Some stuff is going to happen. You know, I'm going to walk in water. You too, Peter. Believe me, it's going to be awesome. You know, he does not say that. He does not suggest to them, you know, be good, follow me. You know, just say, it's going to be, you know, just good. You know, like there's other options, bad options in town, but I'm better. I'm better. If I were you, if I was you, I would choose me. I'll pick me. Just so you know. Man. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is actually going to Peter. Peter and Andrew, right? They're minding their own business. And Jesus, with his authority, he commends them. He commends them. Follow me. Follow me. It's full of authority. To the point that Mark forgets about all the details of that story. As we know in some other, other, some other Gospels, we'll share more details of this, what's going on here. You know, talks about the miracle of the fish, you know, how they, you know, had to grab a bunch of, you know, other boats to be able to grab all the fish. You know, if you haven't seen the show, The Chosen, they show that story. It's, they do a really good job, you know, with that part. The first season of The Chosen is my favorite one. You know, so that, that part, they do a really awesome job. You haven't seen it, watch, it's really good, you know. But Mark, remember his purpose. He's like, no, I'm gonna show, I'm gonna show none of that. I'm gonna show that he is the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the Son of God, then we have John's testimony about Jesus. He's the preacher. He is the king. And when he calls and he commands Peter and Andrew, they have no other option if not obey. If not immediately let go of everything and obey him and follow him. You know, after all this curriculum, they don't have other place to run. And my friends, here is where I want to conclude this message. If God, the Almighty God, the three times holy, the eternal, invisible, all knowledge, all power, if He is calling you, obey. Obey Him. 
Amen? Thank you. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that we will follow you. We will follow your command. We will step you know, in faith into the new that you call in us. And that's my prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.